Minneapolis and the world and the universe and this reality. Welcome to the People's Pitch, the one and only podcast of the NPSL North's own Minneapolis City. I am Nate and joining me is the Mad Sweeney to my Mr. Wednesday, John Biswam. (laughs) John, how does 1 and 0 feel? Uh, it feels just as good as two and zero and three and zero and four and zero. It's all gonna feel so good this year. Anything with an O at the end, as long as it's not our scoreline, <laughs> is gonna be good. Um, but dynamite, uh, dynamite reference there. Oh, the uh, show yeah. is so good. A lot of, I, lot of, lot of dicks, but that's yeah, all right, I guess. A lot of death, a lot, of, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of gruesome death. But uh, you know, it's a that's a good uh, a good stars original. But I'm fired up, man. Uh, I'll actually be in attendance this week, so that's I won't gonna have be to. Good. Follow it on Twitter at a wedding and get the elbow from my wife for not paying attention to the bride walking down the aisle as I get a text from you saying, <laughs> AJ Discord. <laughs> That's like a ESPN like now commercial. It the totally guy, is. The guy watched on his phone in the wedding. It well, totally we, was. <laughs> we've got a, we've got a lot of content today. Uh, so let's get into the show. Uh, this week's show is going to have some some good stuff. Of course. Our first three points in the NPSL. We will recap that VSLT game. Uh, the Duluth home opener is coming up uh, this weekend, so we will preview the hell out of that. And Brian Coleman is in the house <clears throat> in the house for a chat. Happy to have Brian on the show. But first, because we have a lot of show for you tonight, we're going to dive right into last weekend's victory at the Jimmy against VSLT. The Crows decided to start the season by turning the difficulty up to hard <laughs> and going 60-plus minutes with 10 men under a blazing sun. This seems like a good, if not um, unintentional, way to show the other teams in the division that we are just not fucking around, doesn't it, John? You know, it, that's a great way to put it, and I think the pundits in the non-league Midwestern portion of the United States um, have have kind of said the same thing that if you want to look at a winning mentality, that's pretty much the definition of it. That we we the only time that they scored against us when we were actually down to nine men due to an injury and they wouldn't kick the ball out. Yeah. So you know that's that really shows what we talked about last week when I said I really hammered it home probably a little too much to the team that when adversity hits. And we're and and you know things are down. You will take this game over, and you will get those three points. And that's exactly what they did. And it was in our first game, so you can only build on that. You know, there's no going down from that. Yeah. To put this game in perspective, we beat this team two to one, down ten men with our backup goalkeeper, and with a goal called back that, from what I hear, was 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 pretty was, iffy offside call. Yeah, was where the guy who scored the goal was actually behind the ball when he received it, mm-hmm. even though he was past the defender. So, um, I mean, yeah, we, we'll talk about that stuff. But yeah. yes, yes, you're 100% right. So if you missed it, uh, the starting lineup for City was as such. Of course, Matt Elder, the captain, was in goal. The back line was AO, AJ, uh, Nate Engel, and Nick Hines, our new 
our newest uh, defensive member, one of our new defensive members. We had Steve as the holding midfielder role. Martin Brown Jr. was a little farther up. And then across the across the, the mid, we had Goose. We had Miles as kind of an attacking mid. And then we had Will Kidd on the left side. And then Connor was our striker, Connor Stevenson. And on the bench, Charlie Adam, Max uh, Hoof, Whitney, of course, recovering from that injury, but still on the bench and ready to play. Javi, Tim, Timmy Wills, and thankfully, Peter. John, we're still missing some guys, though, and uh, maybe maybe didn't need them, but we could have used them. Well, yes. This speaks to what we've talked about the whole offseason, that we built our roster to, to, to answer the questions that come up through a long season. Yep. Little did we know that we needed those questions answered in literally right away. Our, our first first half of our first game. And so, yeah, you're missing Ba, you're missing Coleman, you're missing O'Brien, you're missing Wexler, you're missing Samuel. You're missing basically like a third of our starting team last, last year. Last year, yep. Yes, so... And that I depth mean, is going to play out pretty well in the next week as we play three games in seven days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the story of the first half, man, the first half was um, really where the stage was set for this game. Both teams were, they came out trying to use their speed up top to attack. Of course, we had Goose and Will burning down the wings with Miles building the attack in the middle and Connor trying to to make some noise. Uh, But VSLT was more about the long ball in this instance where we were trying to build up for the midfield and play dangerous through balls to our speedy guys. And the long ball from VSLT is really what ended up to be the issue for us. It was that at, um, in a mixture in the beginning of where we wanted to dictate a high level of pressure, so they couldn't really get anything to their midfield. They right. the that, only option they had was to a long ball, and long balls are just that one weird part of soccer where it either kills a team because they're just playing a long ball into d- defenders every time, or it kills the team in the fact that the long ball works. So yeah. it's kind of a a coin flip. And you know we'll talk about how that that coin uh, <laughs> that coin guess was not in our favor in in the first half. <laughs> yeah, early on that long ball split AJ and Nate Engel with uh, and Nate was kind of turned around, so it was clear that Joshua De La Rosa was going to be in on goal uncontested. Uh, Nate had a tough time recovering on that, like you said, through no no fault of his own. It's just kind of how the long balls drop sometimes. So. Matt Elder had to come out pretty far in order to in order to kind of address that and backpedaling once once he saw that the ball was past angle and that this guy was coming in on goal backpedaling was really not an option he was kind of stuck so he decided to charge rather than try to go back and and leave himself open for a pretty pretty easy goal um this tat he makes a tackle on de la, Ro- de la rosa the tackle was out of the box it was all player it was very crunchy and it was a definite denial of a goal opportunity so he got a pretty quick red card from from the ref so that meant that of course we're down to 10 men right away peter runquist had to come on which meant and we decided to city decided to take connor stevenson off uh, which is too bad for him because after um you know Limited use last year, but where he was used, he was really effective. It would have been nice to see how he's grown, how he's developed. I'll tell you, he looks bigger. 
He looks much bigger. He yeah. looks. I mean, him and Goose. Goose looks like right? a foot taller almost. But anyway, doesn't, look, doesn't Goose look like Shakiri? <laughs> yeah, like he, just he got, does. He just got he got swollen. Yeah, in that, he in does. That gap year of redshirting. Um, but I think one thing to to talk about that that tackle is that there's there's two ways to look at that that tackle from a goalkeeping perspective. Mm-hmm. One, if you go out and you make it, you save the day and. You, you preserve on the road the chance for your team to still take a lead. Yep. And the, the downside is you don't make the tackle and, and or you get the guy and you're either down a man or you're down a goal. Yeah. So it, 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 there's no fault for Matt, and I'm, I'm kind of gutted for him that he's going to be missing the home opener because, you know, he is our captain. But that's just what goalies have to do. And in the grand scheme of things – he did say it was a game-saving type of tackle, and he sacrificed himself much like Connor had to for the good of the team. Yeah, uh, I, you know, at halftime when we went in tied zero zero, I talked to, I grabbed Coach Jeremy real briefly just for some uh, some uh, some behind-the-scenes remarks. I didn't get it on tape or anything, but some I color. asked him. Uh, yeah, I asked him like, do you in that instance? Do you take the red card or you take or do you just accept that you're going to get scored on and you just take going down one nothing knowing that you probably have the talent on the field to come back and he said you know that's the question how do you how do we know this early in this early in the in the season if we've got that talent we hadn't seen a lot from VSLT but what we'd seen you know they were fairly effective at at stopping our stopping our our, our attack building up through the midfield so you know he he didn't even have a good answer for that and you'd think that uh, as a guy that had probably seen that a number of times, probably like you, there really isn't one. It's you got to make that judgment call in the moment, and you just got to trust that Elder made the right call. And it turns out that uh, that in the end, he did. You know, we end up winning the game. But at halftime, we made some adjustments. Of course, with Connor off, Miles, Goose, and Will were going to le- ended up leading the attack from then on. Um, but City was not because City was not going to be content to just sit back. And, and defend. We weren't going to just park the bus and hope for hope for a draw, a 0-0 draw on the road. Yeah, that's not us this year. Not at all. And one one interesting uh, sub right that came in right at the half was they put Max in, Max Kent, in for mm-hmm. Steve. And I know Steve right. was a guy that all offseason we were excited to see a lot of. So I was surprised until I realized that that, you know, putting in basically a defender as the a central defensive mid really freed Martin and Miles to move move farther up together. It gave mm-hmm. mostly Martin gave him the opportunity to to confidently move up without having to worry about covering uh, any anything that Steve anytime Steve wanted to move forward because Max wasn't moving forward. Right. This also utilized these long ball skills that Max had on display against the Gophers in order to attack on the counter. I remember, John, do you remember the one of the first touches that Max had Literally against the Gophers? Touch. His first touch was a delicious long ball right at, I think, a, uh, right at Miles, I believe. And it was uh, it was almost an immediate goal-scoring chance for us in that friendly. So I think that, you know, thinking about Max's ability to really launch that ball forward and find someone in space probably had to come into that decision. Well, c- coupled with that was that Steve actually picked up a, a twisted ankle. Oh, so, okay. And he was he was evaluated in the locker room and probably could have gone, but it, again, it's early on in the season, and you know you kind of are a little bit cautious with an injury like that that it doesn't become a two, three, four week injury. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, no, knowing everything that you just said, Max could slide in there, 
And it was funny. I, I, I sent him a text afterwards and asked him how his first game went. And he's like, well, I wasn't really anticipating playing center mid in my first game. But <laughs> but we got we got the three points. So, uh, But, yeah, everything you said, his ability to play that long ball, win balls in the air from yep. a long ball perspective, as well as being able to sit home and then free up the, the guys in front of him was pretty key. Yeah, that's a point I hadn't thought of, too. He, he was able to use his height to really um, – to kind of stop their long ball mm-hmm. from 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 coming over the line, um, you know, he was able to get up quite a bit, and we all know that Max is uh, is really good in the air. Mm-hmm. Now, this all the scoring happened in the second half, so if you were late to the game, this was when you wanted to show up. Um, the set pieces, <laughs> you're taking a nap in the bouncy house, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like like Dan's kids. Yeah, <laughs> the set pieces they shined again for Minneapolis City. John uh, Martin again on a set piece. Just lacing it over um, right to AJ coming down on the back post, pretty much uncontested, and just tapped it in with his forehead. And all of a sudden, it was it was zero one good guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we know that we've got a lot of talent in the air. We know we've got a guy like Martin, a guy like Samuel coming back that can put the ball on a dime. He can just put the ball wherever he wants. How how great is that to have? As as a, as a couple guys that can deliver the ball, and then a bunch of guys that are able to that are able to hammer it home. Sure, and if you look at the video of it, there wasn't a blue jersey within like ten yards of three pink jerseys on that back post. Yeah. So if you get a guy like Martin who can put the ball in a paper bag, as we saw from twenty some yards out against the the Gophers to to score off that free kick. He's going to put the ball where he's supposed to put it if it's not on target, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what he did. And, you know, I would bet I would bet on A.J. and Max, who are the two guys closest to the ball, to bury that 9 out of 10 times. Oh, yeah. And that's that's going to be the exciting thing to see in this season is and, and probably a little bit of an improvement over last year is our, is our set-piece ability. And a, a, we're going to have a, a nice danger to bring to the to the field when it comes mm-hmm. to set pieces. Now, of course, our goal to make it interesting had to be answered by VSLT. And this is kind of what you were what you were hinting at earlier that when they scored, they scored really against nine men because Miles went down with a cramp and uh, all of a sudden they were attacking against nine and Kyle at uh 55-1 kind of kind of hinted in his article that really miles going down didn't have too much of an effect but that goal that they scored uh this guy uh bokeen that goal that he scored came off of a ball that was kind of bounce that was really bouncing around the box all over the place and Mm -hmm. none of our players could really get a good good boot on on in order to clear it and I, i have to believe that with you know just one more body there's Either one of our guys is in position or we're moving their guys around a little more and trying to keep them out of position. But mm-hmm. we didn't have it. Uh, the, the ref chose not to blow the whistle with Miles down with a cramp and the ball in our in our uh, on our half of the field. So Bokeen scores and it's one to one. And at this point, when I'm watching John, I'm just happy with a point. Like I'm thinking, shit, we're down ten men. We maybe got a little we maybe got a little lucky to be able to to score a goal. They're nodding it up. That's fine. I'm gonna take this and, and go home. I'm I'm cool with this tie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, I mean that's that's where your head goes, right? Yeah, but we didn't quit. And this is like you said, this is just not how the team is built this year. This isn't the mentality of the team. Yeah, absolutely. We didn't quit and and I, I kind of hats off go to the guys that were that were either taken off 
uh, at half as a result or even before half. And the guys that came on in the second half for understanding the role is three points. Yep. It's not, it's not padding your stats. It's any, any way you'll do to get us another goal. Yeah, and you know who else didn't quit was Coach Pribble, John, because he was <laughs> the later. He's you know he's getting the team fired up. He's making sure they're staying and they're keeping their shape. Uh, he's making sure that they're keeping their heads in it and making sure that they're they're continuing to press. He's very vocal on the sideline. If you haven't uh, if you haven't seen Coach Pribble on the sideline, and when the four, when the ref stopped play for a VSLT injury that was well away from the ball. Uh, Adam was very, very vocal to the fourth official, uh, very salty that that ref didn't make the same call when Miles went down right mm-hmm. before the VSLT goal. He's screaming at the fourth official that that cost us a goal. That cost us a goal. Uh, John, just to clear clarify, what is the procedure that refs need to follow when there's a player down on the field? When does the play stop? When should it stop? Well, if it's a head injury, it's an immediate stoppage, no matter where it is on the field for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. If it's something like a cramp, it's kind of at the referee's discretion, which is why I, I can imagine Adam was a little fired up. But there isn't really a written rule that says when you have to stop it. And there also isn't a written rule as to if you have to kick it out or not. If you're if you're the attacking team or yeah. or where the, the opposing team has um, the player down. So it's not there's it's a very large grayscale and it just sucks that that's the reason why now Adam is no longer allowed to be on the touchline this week because he was voicing his his concern for the fact that if you're going to be if you're going to allow one team to do one thing then you have to allow the other yeah and and you can't it's not playing favorites it's just being consistent and that's the only thing you ask of a referee is if you're going to be good be good for both teams, and if you're going to be bad, be bad for both teams. <laughs> yeah, he was. Uh, he was definitely voicing his opinion on this. I think the where the where the ejection came was he was he was abusing that poor fourth official. <laughs> he was not. He was not lightening up on him. He was letting him have it. And then when the ref came over, Adam lowered his voice a, a little bit, but his aggressiveness was still there, and his he, he definitely had that accusatory tone and. Uh, and the fourth and the referee was just not having it. I think I have a feeling, or I feel like the ejection came due to Adam's treatment of that fourth official, and less about how he talked to the referee. The Probably. referee said, "You've already, you've already had your say. I heard you all the way across the damn field. I'm gonna need you to relax." <laughs> and he, and he didn't. And that's fine. You got to do what you got to do. It's like a baseball manager getting ejected, man. Sometimes right. you got to do what you got to do to get your team fired up. And fired up they were. The second goal for City was a beaut. Uh, our guy Timmy Wills chased a ball up into the left corner, and he won it off the defender. You know, a little bit of a, a little bit of a, uh, kind of a back and forth. He reversed direction after he did that, and he found Javi way out in space coming down the right wing. Now, this is a great example of the creativity and the resourcefulness that Tim Wills was praised for during the offseason and during mm-hmm. the U.S. Open Cup. Yep. You know, and Tim Tim doesn't have to be the guy always scoring, which is what makes him a dynamic forward. And we talked about, you know, everyone's like, oh, the Crows roster is stacked, but what do they do from a striker perspective? Where do goals come from? The goals can come from anywhere. Yeah. And we saw it on a set piece, and we saw it on an attacking midfielder come through due to the fact that our, our striker worked hard to, on the defensive end of the ball to win it and then make a smart choice with a pass. 
Yep, exactly. And Javi flawlessly laced a shot into the corner, and which is exactly what we hoped that he would be bringing to the team. That was one of the one of the reasons we were excited for his signing was this guy can score when he's coming down the field. One shot, one kill, right? Yeah, exactly. And it was nice. Uh, you know, he was ready for it. He had just gotten off the bench too, so this guy's head was in the game, and he was ready to. Um, he was ready to contribute, and contribute he did. So, John, mm-hmm. two to one was the final score. Obviously, a great win for a season opener, and it was a really a great atmosphere over there at the Jimmy. I do really respect VSLT and their unique approach to building a team for the community, and not because, not solely because I won uh, in the raffle. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you win? <laughs> a hat and a scarf. A T-bone. <laughs> yeah, I think they drew. I think they, they they drew my name and they stuck with it because they thought I was I was one of them. But anyway, the they were everyone there, just great people, nice people from the neighborhood, nice people from the team, great food, of course, from Pancho Villa and that that family running in the kitchen there, and it was really an interesting take on announcing, uh, where that all kind of fit together. I thought it was inter- I thought it was a fun fun atmosphere. Like I said, you know, when you have a guy announcing two guys announcing the whole game as if they're on TV and they're doing it 100% or at least 99% in Spanish. That's just not something you're going to see anywhere else at any other game in town. So that was sure. cool. I think this sure. is going to be a good rivalry. Sure. I would have liked more citizens there considering it was a free game, but I think next time now that everyone kind of knows what to expect, we'll get be able to get more guys there. Yeah, absolutely. I think two two takeaways for me considering that I wasn't there was one my uh, my parents were in town because they were uh, they were watching the boy as uh, my wife and I were at a wedding, um, like I mentioned. But my dad said that he was by the press box in the first half, and all of a sudden he heard through the Spanish something about Bizworm, and he's like, "I don't know what they were talking about, but they said <laughs> they said your name." <laughs> yeah, I think they did a lot. They they gave a lot of great background on the team, for what I gathered. Like anytime, it was really mm-hmm. good commentary if you were unfamiliar with the team and you happen to speak Spanish. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I didn't. I don't speak Spanish very well, so I was only to pick up a little bit here and there. But they did a really good job every time one of our players touched the ball. Every time one of our players did something, of kind of shouting him out and letting the crowd know exactly where the action was and who was participating. In it. it was pretty cool. And my my last take is I mentioned before just the the win at all cost mentality that we have and the fact that out of all people, the person who everyone thought was going to be playing for VSLT ends up uh, choosing to play with us through our open tryout and then comes on and scores the game winner on his only shot of the game. So it was like kind of just classic soccer irony, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I love it. All right. So now that that's out of the way, Duluth is coming to town, Nate. Whoop, whoop. So it it's kind of time for if you if you follow on uh, the banter on the internet, it's time for Duluth to kind of put up or shut up. Uh, they had a one one draw against Twin Stars, and it doesn't really bode well for them, considering that they were considered to be, you know, uh, in the in the top, the upper echelon of the of the division. Yeah. And you know, we had some people out at the game, and and from what I heard, it was it was very much so kind of just a weird soccer game, um, one where. You thought one team was going to come out and just blow the doors off, and then it just was. It just didn't happen. So, good good thing for us is that they uh, they they don't come in riding high off the three points. Uh, they they get one at the at the death, and mm-hmm. we'll talk about that a little bit uh, as we get into kind of who to watch for. <coughs> Excuse me, but uh, they got a point, and they got a point on the road. But as far as as who they are for the folks that that don't know who they are, 
they were founded as a men's league team, much like Stegman's was, but in 2014 by Friar Tim Sass. So yes, they're they're owned by a priest. Um, they go by the Blue Greens, and they started their competitive soccer in 2016 in the now defunct American Premier League. So under the watchful eye of Coach Kyle Backus, <coughs> excuse me, they went on to finish second in the now again defunct a- APL behind old friends of ours, FC Fargo. Oh yeah. Behind <coughs> FC Fargo, <coughs> yes, exactly, and it was a um, it was they went undefeated, but they tied Fargo, and then Fargo won on points, I believe. Oh, okay, <coughs> excuse me. So speaking of Bacchus, he's in his second year as a head coach, and the only knock on him, from what I've been told, is besides being uh, besides calling Coleman and O'Brien washed up on the internet, he's relatively <laughs> inexperienced in in coaching adults. Being this is his only season in charge of the team, so yeah, um, you know that that can be a knock. It could also be uh, you know kind of a hidden gem, as it doesn't matter who you are as long as you know where <laughs> who to put where and how to adjust. So the style of play that they have is the <laughs> route one is get the hell out of the back. They they don't like to play the ball across the back much like VSLT did. So, uh, newsflash: get ready for some more long ball action because mm-hmm. uh, you're going to see it. Because they either want to get it quickly out to their target man, or if if they can through a pretty dynamic midfield, which I'll I'll, I'll talk to. Their goalkeeper also a little bit of a liability for them. He he can stop shots, but he doesn't hang on to everything. Which if you if you follow the show when we talk about other teams' goalkeepers, that's kind of a reoccurring theme: is that guys at this level uh, can be great shot stoppers. However, the hand the hands part of it, it. the hands the hands part of it is the reason why they're still in this in this level at this level, um, where the good ones are at this level for other reasons. So. Uh, maybe some chances for us to capitalize on a on a rebound from a long distance strike. Maybe yeah. Maybe we get we maybe we get uh, the green light for a guy like Coleman to rip from outside or a guy like Martin, um, and then have our forwards, you know, crashing in on the target or potentially from a cross or a set piece. So yep, yep. a lot um, of rebound you know, opportunities. So look for that. As far as players to watch are concerned, being that Saint Scholastica, you know, has a heavy um, European influence. Uh, up there. Now that's something interesting. That's, that's something I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, I don't These know. These guys much are about. coming to Saint Scholastica from England, from Northern Ireland, right? And they're good soccer players, so they they draw heavily from that area as well as um, University of Wisconsin Superior. But yep. a couple players to watch, um, you know, for the for the layperson, <clears throat> Tom Corcoran. We know him. We love him. He played with us in the Open Cup. Uh, we we love him except for 180 minutes this summer. You know, he can totally suck it until the whistle blows, and then we'll high-five him afterwards. But a good center midfielder that we had in the Open Cup, he likes to sit deep and, and find the ball in, in pockets of, of space in front of the back line, and he's very good at picking out that over-the-top long ball. Yeah. So, again, look for that to happen. When when you make him uncomfortable is with, with pressure back there where he doesn't have time to play that ball out. Um, but you know, look to him to also be able to play the, the quick one twos because he has that ability as well. The next player is Sean Morgan. Sean Morgan, he's a he's a kind of a smart technical midfielder with a lot of pace, and he knows how to find his teammates well. He is the the co career leader in assists at Saint Scholastica, hmm. uh, all time leader in assists. So he he does like to pass, but he also has the ability uh, to beat a guy one on one. 
The next guy, Joe Watt, is also the the other career leader in that co-category with Sean Morgan in assists. And he's a kind of a mixture of Tom and Sean. So the three of them together kind of provide a good dynamic balance in the center of the midfield. And, um, you know, he maybe isn't one for always going forward, but he, he's more of the possession-based guy that likes to keep the ball. So you have one that likes to, to break a guy down on, off the dribble, one that can, can find, you know, real technical passes um, at a shorter distance, and then one that likes to kind of play that long ball. So definitely have to pay attention to those three in the middle of the field. Uh, the next one is Cesar Herrera. He's a teammate uh, at Hastings College with current uh, Crow defender Nick Hines. Very smart, solid player who was nearly selected by the city staff uh, through open tryouts. But uh, what we were looking for at the open tryouts weren't necessarily aligning with his skills. However, I'm glad to see that he landed with the team because in, in at this level because he definitely can play at this level. And he's a great guy and, and a good all-around player. Can can kind of play up top on the wings in the back, you know, centrally. He, he's kind of like a like an Ike Forsgren type player, where okay. very much so a, a Swiss Army knife. Yeah. Then finally, uh, Captain Redbeard, Kyle Farrar. <laughs> we we talked a little bit about Kyle Farrar in the Open Cup days in in the shows past. We uh, we were considering bringing in Kyle if we were going to be continuing our Open Cup run to bolster our attack. But the guy is a pure finisher, and and on Sunday salvaged a point for them in late, late in stoppage time, almost the last kick of the game yeah. uh, against the two stars on the road. He's a London native who just tore up uh, NCAA Division Three in, in his career. In 2015, was the nation's leading goal scorer at 24. Kind of tallied Tim Wills-like type career numbers with 72 goals in 82 games, so the guy can score. And he trailed off pretty hard in his senior season in 2016 with only nine goals. And that may be a result of two, one year lightning in a bottle as a freshman, two solid years as a sophomore and junior, and then he was a marked man as a senior. Yeah. So potentially we can draw from that and see maybe how, how to frustrate him and, and shut him down with maybe multiple looks at, at the defense that's going to be trying to stop him. So... He's still that guy though that can that can find uh, find the back of the net with just a sliver of daylight. So we definitely have to keep an eye on that. Yeah, John. So, so I, I have a question here for you. I guess sure. How many of these guys, or it sounds like a lot of these guys, are either pretty quickly out of school or maybe still in school? Is that pretty accurate as far as how Duluth is put together? Yeah, you know, the the internet doesn't lie. Uh, the the folks up in Duluth look at this more as a development league for guys that are in college or shortly out of. Yeah. And we look at it as screw that. We want to win games at whatever level we're at. So it doesn't matter who's on your team. So they do draw more from the college ranks. And that is basically a, a player pool dictation because Mm -hmm. we have the ability to draw from a larger, uh, more diverse base of players. Yeah. They start the population up there. Yeah. And you look at Duluth and you look at the fact that they have, quality up there already with with at these colleges that are close by but then you'll get like lacrosse and they don't so it can kind of be a double-edged sword it can it can either help you defend or it can kill you so how how close is this team's makeup this year to the team that tied fc fargo to you know 
return to be second in their division last year. It's about a 60-40 split of returners. So you're going to get a base of team of a team that has played together and you're going to sprinkle in guys like Cesar who I mentioned who is new to to Duluth um, FC camp. So you're you're going to see some newer guys in and you're also going to see some newer guys from Scholastica. So you're going to see can those guys quickly gel and and replace people like Joey who Joey Gustafson who who came down and, and got a job after he graduated and is playing with us this summer mm-hmm. and played in the Open Cup. So it really depends on you know what they throw out there, but I would be pretty hard pressed to to see them uh, you know have a different look of a lot of new guys against a team like us. You know the the team the, the the time for them to experiment with putting some newer guys in different positions is not against us. It's against right. some other teams in our division, and maybe they did that on on Saturday against Twin Stars. But they'll still uh they're still gonna fight us right for for ninety minutes. They're not gonna be they're not gonna they're not gonna ho- you know hope to sneak something past us. They're gonna come at us pretty full bore. Right, and I think overall it's a, it's a great point. They are gonna fight us for ninety minutes like everyone is. You know, we definitely have a target on our back, and and we kind of embrace that. But I hope they send some fans down. It's not, and it's not like three lame dudes with like beating on one single drum. I hope they bring a group down <laughs> because that that's what makes this division awesome. Because we can, the distance is so close that your fans can travel, and I I. I hope it happens, and I hope that we do a better job of that on the road where we can. Where we can, and it's just only it's awesome to have that atmosphere for for teams. Yeah. Um, and I'm also um, fired up because our home opener, you know, and we have great momentum that we we're building off of from our win against BSLT, you know, down down to ten men, and we seem to embrace adversity, whether it's eleven guys traveling to Madison and winning. Or ten guys beating uh, a full a full sided VSLT, but we also see that we're, we're gonna have a fired uh, Brian Coleman making his debut yeah. in the, in the Crow Camp um, with the eighteen this 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 week. So that's gonna be cool. So you know we'll see we'll see how that that storyline un, unfolds itself. Yeah. So ga- so game day we are gonna be at Edor Nelson Field on the majestic campus of Augsburg College at six p.m. The ball kicks off. Coolers are of are welcome. Stuff whatever you need in there. Five dollars <laughs> gets you in with a small cooler. Twenty dollars gets you in with a large cooler. Eight dollars gets you in the door beforehand on the internet. Or ten dollars gets you in at the door. The citizens will be starting early at three o'clock at the Viking Bar and then doing their world famous walk to the pitch uh, right after that before the game gets world started. Famous. Yeah, uh, that, that, I mean I, I'm just saying it is. It might not mm. be. Uh, I'm sure people. There's someone else. Somewhere in the world has heard of it. Um, then we, we spin on back to the Viking Bar for some, some pizza provided by our sponsor, Little Caesars, and some beers that you can purchase from our other sponsor, Summit. Okay. And there'll, there'll be some crows that are going to be making their way there. So if you, if you want to uh, want to say hi and pat those guys on the back and, and maybe chat them up about the season, they will be there. I think that's and really cool. No tacos from Pancho Villa, unfortunately. So nope. I am sorry about that. But Nate, what are your your final thoughts on on the game this Saturday? Oh man, I'm pumped about it. I think uh, I think it's going to be good atmosphere. I think it's going to be. Hopefully, the crowd will be in full throat, I'm ready. To, I'm really just like you, and we'll talk to him a little bit. Hopefully, he'll be able to expound on this. But I'm really ready to see what Brian has to offer and how he's planning on. Um, 
expressing his frustration <coughs> at the way he's been treated by some of these Duluth fans. He's he's you'll find out too, folks, in a little bit. He's a, he is still a pro's pro. Yep. So um so with that, why don't we why move a little bit on in the show here and and bring in our next guest, Mr. Brian Coleman. John, go ahead. All right. Most players we've had on the show are well known to listeners uh, of this podcast, but the fellow that we um that we talked to today has a reach that goes a little bit further beyond the casual listener's knowledge of him. Uh, he's a super great guy. Uh, and it, Incredible work ethic, heart of gold. He goes by BK or the incredible Coleman, but I call him Brian. Brian Coleman, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. We know you're a busy guy, so how are things? Things are good. Thanks for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on, so looking forward to it. All right, so let's let's get right down to it. For for those of you who don't know who, who Brian is, Brian's a native of Woodbury um, and has a pretty decent soccer resume. Um, you were a three-year starter at Woodbury High School, and then post-high school, you were a member of something called the Mighty Dolphins of Jacksonville University. Um, <laughs> before we used to joke around uh, with, the, called it the Fighting Dolphins, just the... uh, just, just to kind of make it a little bit, little bit better. But... <laughs> just, just a bunch of angry fighting dolphins. I love it. Yeah. Um, and then you, uh, you traded in your dolphin suit for to be a Blue Jay uh, for the perennial powers <laughs> Creighton University um, in Nebraska, which is where you were born, correct? Yeah, that's it's where I grew up until I was ten before I moved to Minnesota, and so most of my most of my family and my relatives are still kind of back there. So it was kind of uh, kind of like coming home uh, to college, even though I hadn't lived there since I was ten years old. So what took you to to Florida, and then and then ultimately making the move to Creighton? Um, you know, I think uh, I think being the oldest uh, of six soccer playing and very athletic kids uh from the time pretty much i started driving uh when i when i didn't have practice myself i was helping shuttle kids around and when i was in high school my dad actually he got a new job uh, with ups down in st louis and did not did not want to uproot my family again and we were all involved with you know probably like the best soccer teams uh, for their for our ages um so he kind of did the commuting so it was kind of Kind of like uh, being a father or a male figure of the house and, and helping, you know, get kids everywhere. So I think, you know, once senior year came around and I was a little little bit of a late bloomer and didn't really know where I wanted to go, I knew I wanted to play Division One soccer. And uh, I thought it would be kind of cool to just uh, get out of Minnesota a little bit and go experience the warm weather down in Florida. And I looked at a couple of schools down there and, you know, I went on a, went on a recruiting trip and everything and really got along with the, with the guys down there and Jacksonville was 20 minutes away from the beach. So, so that's perfect. Cool fit. And and I decided to do that uh, unbeknownst to me when I got down there, the, uh, I went and saw the coach and he's like, yeah, walk-ons come on Monday. And I kind of looked at my dad like, what? Like walk-on, what do you mean? Because that was the first thing that he, first time I ever heard anything about that. I, I, I was going down to there to be a part of the team. So. That uh, was a little stepping stone, I guess, I had to get across. First. That's a little, that's a surprise. So you went all the way down there and you're thinking like, I got this in the bag. They, they asked me to come down. Yep. And the coach says, okay, well, we'll see you on Monday for the walk-on tryouts. You're like, I don't even have my gear. Thanks, guy. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, so what made you make the, the switch to Creighton? Um, we got, so 
fast forward a couple of years, I, mean, I, I ended up walking on. I did extremely well in the tryout. The coach apologized after the day. I, think <laughs> I had a goal and an assist as, as a left back. And there was like seven or eight other walk-ons. And then we were, we were playing kind of with the second team that uh, to for that tryout. But um, ended up getting a ton of playing time my freshman, sophomore year under a coach named Bob Mullen, who – I believe still he actually moved up to Minnesota and he's working, I think, on the girls' side at Shattuck. Oh, nice. But he, we had, we had kind of a rough sophomore year. We went like three eleven and three, and uh, ended up getting a new coach who was the women's coach. But it just wasn't wasn't the greatest situation. There was uh, there was these twins on the team whose dad. There wasn't a ton of money in our program, so the dad actually. MJ was the coach, the new coach's name, and I guess he told the AD that hey, if MJ you know gets the men's coaching job, then I'm gonna donate a ton of money to the soccer programs. Oh, what? So all of a sudden we got, you know, got a new coach, but we got all this money, and you know all the players got tennis shoes and cleats and new jerseys and warmups and all this, and so I was like, oh, this is awesome. Like this is how you know it should be at the D1 level. And, it ended up being uh, I was supposed to be on a full scholarship that year, and he didn't give me the full scholarship. And then it was kind of uh, the coach and those two twins uh, versus kind of me and the captains and the rest of the team. And it wasn't oh, man. <clears throat> wasn't necessarily good. I, I you know uh, situation. Um, I still played all the time. I broke my uh, or separated my shoulder in the first game of the year that year, but I just played through it and I didn't miss any games. Um, come to the end of the fall, my coach had a meeting with me and said, "Hey, I want you to take the spring season off and decide if you know you want to come back for your senior year." And he's like, "I'll give you a release if you want it." And I was like, "Give me my release." What? He was like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't want to play here. Like, give me your release, my release. So. Literally that right after I, I called my dad and I told him what happened and, and he knew I was not happy playing for that coach. So uh, he's like, get, he's like, figure out where you're going to go. He's like, don't worry about the money. You know, he, he's like, let's, let's figure it out and make it happen. And I think it kind of coming down between uh, Creighton university. I, I just kind of reached out to guys that I grew up playing ODP with and club soccer with and, uh, that were still playing Division One, and mm-hmm. you know, I said, "Hey, I got a year and a half left of eligibility. That's it. Um, I'm looking to transfer right now in the spring." And uh, it really came down to Creighton University, Madison, or University of Wisconsin, and um, Missouri State, which at the time was Southwest Missouri State. But my my best friend from Nebraska was on the baseball team, and he had been going into the soccer coach's office, and he was the one that. Kind of got them interested in me, and they were one of the conference rivals with Creighton. So he, they were definitely interested in having me come out. Um, Madison or Wisconsin wanted me to come and walk on in the spring, and I was like, I'm kind of done doing that. Yeah, I already already did that, guys. Exactly. So, all right. So Creighton had uh, missed; they lost two seniors that year. Uh, One. Both of them end up going to the MLS, but one of the players they lost was a center back who was 
kind of athletic and somewhat of the enforcer, and that's kind of like, that sounds like just the player you are, Brian. So we would love to have you come in and fill his shoes. And so once I got accepted into Creighton, that that was definitely where I wanted to go. You know, knowing that I had family there and the eleven twenty million dollar stadium or whatever that they had was unbelievable so and ever since then jacksonville soccer has been (laughs) (laughs) just a powerhouse right oh no they haven't won anything it was was funny (laughs) talking talking to my teammates uh well i was i was one of nine freshmen in, in our freshman class and i think only one of them made it through their their senior year others quit or transferred or whatever so uh talking to some of the guys that were still there that they're like oh he's like brian their coach was like brian's never gonna see the field at creighton like what is he doing uh, uh, <laughs> suck on that guy yeah so post creighton um you know as as anyone who who has a computer and can use google will know that uh, after after your college career you had a very successful pro career from 2006 2009 you're a member of the USL side Minnesota Thunder and then from 2010 to 2015 you were a member of the NASL side uh, Minnesota United so that kind of racks up um, over 150 regular and postseason matches um, kind of tell us a little bit about when and how being a pro soccer player kind of became a real thing for you um I th- it, it really I was uh, I was down at Creighton and Literally, my mom called me, and, and I, I can't remember what exactly we were talking about or having that day, but we were, and I was a, a little annoyed at her, and she, so she calls me back, and I'm like, what, you know, what, what do you need, mom, and she's like, why didn't you tell me, I was like, tell you what, she, <laughs> you got drafted by the Thunder today, and I was like, what, they have a draft? <laughs> That's what like, we were talking to you? Dustin about, like, how do you find out you get drafted by the Thunder, like, there's no draft room. <laughs> yeah so it, it literally it that was like the first i was like i this is the first thing i've heard about it you know and so uh at the time the new new head coach amos mcgee that was his first year he uh he called me later on that day and you know kind of told me that they drafted me and told me you know i know you're in school but plan on if you can you know get away from your classes for preseason we're gonna head out to uh out east we went to like north carolina and Virginia or something at a couple of different locations so I went out there and uh actually with Ben Wexler's older brother Ian who was who I grew up playing club soccer with he we we both kind of tried out um and I got myself a contract and Ian, Ian didn't he ended up uh, going and playing over in Ireland for a couple of years while I got his master's that's kind of how it started I just I did well at, in preseason and they invited me in so I actually they were uh, going to be somewhat short with injuries and stuff, so I came back from – I was still down at Creighton after I made the team finishing up my classes, and I drove up for the first game that happened to be on my 22nd birthday, and you know, I got put in the game for the last, like, 15 minutes. So my first first pro game was on my 22nd birthday, and right after the game I got in the car and had to drive down to Omaha, and I was hoping to get back before midnight, and sure enough, I got in at like 11:58, and all my buddies, you know, came to the front door and congratulated me on my first pro game, and 
had you know some adult beverages in hand to celebrate <laughs> nice um so you know that that's definitely something that stands out but is there anything else you know mixed into those um, I guess 149 other uh, plus games that you played that that really stands out to you that that you'd like to talk about uh, yeah I think uh, yeah I think you know knowing now what what I do know I, obviously for younger players I, I definitely want to tell them how important the uh, nutrition side of it is and, and not not the partying so much like I mean you're a division two soccer player I was living like I was a pro soccer player but realistically <laughs> the money wasn't there right so <laughs> it was uh, it was a bit of rough you know learn living somewhat paycheck to paycheck uh, the thunder you know I'm sure you guys are aware in 2009 ended up a new owner who showed all this promise and wanted to switch all these things and play move us back up to Blaine and well he ended up owing money all over the place to vendors and to the sports center and to players so really in 2000, 2009 I, mean, I played my last two games that year with without being paid and that guy owed me a ton of money from coaching camps and all that kind of stuff too and we never we never saw any of that that money so kind of when it when it became minnesota stars and we were a league-owned team that was it was a kind of a joke because we we would say like all the other owners are paying our salaries and stuff and then we're going out and we're making the playoffs every year and making championship runs and so i mean i think Maybe not necessarily specific games. Obviously, the championship games were just unbelievable. Getting like the biggest crowds uh, that we would have at the Sports Center, which back then was probably you know four or five thousand, not the ten thousand that it's been the last few years. But um, you know, obviously, the championship games, the the semifinals, the playoff games, those years were, were huge and so much fun to play in and be a part of but uh also we had an open cup run where we went on the road and we sold the sold our game to real salt lake i think for like a hundred thousand dollars they moved we were supposed to play in minnesota and they bought the rights to that game because we were oh yeah so they could get the so they could get the ticket sales and stuff and then you had to you had to pay to get out there we did so they they paid us to come and then we go there and, you know, just coming off our championship year and we, I don't know if they weren't ready for us or didn't, didn't know, but we went out and completely dominated the first half and ended up winning three to one. <laughs> nice. Nice. At the, for the third goal. And I nutmeg Johnny Steele, who ended up being one of my teammates years down the road. Oh, I, what a great name. A, yeah. <laughs> so, Brian, you're... Game. Soccer, something else. <laughs> you're uh, you're obviously <laughs> you're obviously now uh, kind of a busy dude now that you moved on to your professional career. You got a young family, you got this growing business. Uh, when you signed on with City, had you been out there actively looking for a team to join, or how did this really all come together? How did you hear about us? Yeah, so it's uh, you know I I heard about you guys just because I mean you you played in the in the same league as the United Reserve team, so 
Uh, my brother, who's now, you know, finally getting good minutes with the first team at MLS, and last year was kind of his breakthrough year. But oh, never year heard of him. Before that, he uh, <laughs> <laughs> year before that he he actually had to play in a lot of the reserve team games. So I, you know, I'd keep up a little bit, and and obviously I I think you know when City came out, it was like oh, like we have a United now, we have a City, like that's kind of cool, and that is kind of cool. Uh, they would do you know your social media stuff and, and i saw that and uh, it actually started where i was on twitter and i saw that you guys were in the open cup and it started as literally just a joke like um i congratulated dustin brandon who i think was the assistant for the open sure. cup game yeah yeah on. and i just tweeted at him like congrats coach and i was like let me know if you need a need a midfielder you know uh-huh. for next round or something like that and he and he responded back like interesting or hmm you know with an emoji and next thing you know i started getting followed by minneapolis city sporting director john and i think i I think i remember that period of time because when when it was like when john was telling me like oh dude i think we might be able to get brian coleman i was like oh well what if you tweet at Jamie Watson too? Because we felt like super invincible. Like all we need to do is tweet at guys that are retiring from Minnesota United and we can get them. Um, what was the elevator pitch that they gave you to join the team and what ultimately sold you? Oh, well, it, it was, you know, it was kind of like, Hey, if, if you're serious, we'd love to have you type thing. And then John invited me to come out and scrimmage this winter against uh, the university of Minnesota's club team. So, I went and played there, and he's like, "Well, you know, what do you what do you think about for the summer? Is that something you're interested in?" And I was just really upfront, like you said, I'm busy, and I said, "Hey, I would love to play, but you know, I I have responsibilities for you know my coaching and my business and stuff. So, you know, I'll make whatever I can, and I'll be really transparent, you know, with what I can and can't be at. And that's kind of you know what John was like. Yeah, that's you know that's all kind of we would ask you and. So it was it was something that I necess- I wasn't necessarily looking for, but I played I played last year um, in the summer for Inferno '95. You know, one of the other the other guys from you guys and old rivals for for Stegmans and internationals. Um, that was the team that that I played my probably after my junior or senior high school, and then I would come back and play with them all in college 10, 15 years ago. So when I retired, you know, literally after I announced my retirement, I was getting messages from Inferno. I was getting messages from <laughs> everyone wants a piece of the yeah, <laughs> a piece the of card, the, the retired the Cardinals guy. were messaging me because I, I used to play on their their indoor team at Augsburg throughout college and actually when I was still playing pro, just because I'd still be back in Minnesota and play. So I did that a little last year. I was only able to make about four games, but the commitment just really wasn't there, and the level of play yeah. was not. I mean, when when I grew up playing when I was in high school and college, it was legit. we ended up having a ton of you know ex Thunder players on that team, and current are going to be former Thunder players on that team. Yeah, not so much anymore. Yeah, and it, it just wasn't there. I mean, it's still a great group of guys, but I, mean, I think in the four games that I played in, I think one game we ended up finishing with 11 players on the field and Dang. the last game we had seven players to start the game and we we're playing that is the so worst that's the worst yeah, so tons so of other interests from other teams around the around around minnesota happy that you chose us dude so you are like you are you mentioned you're the oldest of of what six yeah 
So you're like patient zero in the epidemic of successful Kalman defenders. Uh, what would you say like the Kalman family defensive philosophy is? Um, I, I think just competing, competition, and uh, and just mental toughness is kind of you know what what we've all been able to have success uh, in, in soccer with, and that's just kind of how we we grew up with my dad. It was just. Um, like the girls were not allowed to cry and I remember watching their basketball games their soccer games and they get like an elbow in the face and you could see them like fighting back the tears but they they wouldn't they wouldn't cry and they just that's fight pretty tough everything you know and it's pretty tough <laughs> yeah they're, they're uh it's it's pretty unbelievable my my siblings were were I mean it as everyone kind of started their college careers and stuff they had a lot of success but it just was like the younger the kids got the better they were and I yeah because they kind of came up and there was like that exponential growth right like they they got to learn from from your mistakes and you know there was uh there was a little less exploration there yeah. so you've you've primarily played at the fullback position um but you've been in the conversation of course for city at center back maybe at defensive mid full-blown center mid um etc really almost every position besides maybe in net is there a position that Adam just absolutely should not play you at? That you would you would just fuck up? Oh, I can play anywhere on the field. I can play goalie if you need me. I don't know if people know this, but I was the uh, in 2011 for the Minnesota Stars. I was the third string goalie, and in it's like kind of a joke, but it was a real thing. We were, we only had two goalies, uh, Matt Van Oakle and Joe Warren, and Papa Joe was uh, he was an older older player the last couple of years so when he'd play a game on saturday he would need sunday and monday off to recover so monday all the guys that didn't play um didn't play in the game would do like kind of a harder session a lot of competition like mm-hmm. 1v1s to goal 2v2s to goal small sided games so but i know manny manny jumped in that one day and didn't do well and <laughs> then i was like hey i'll play i'll play goalie one day and and he was a very superstitious guy, so like we ended up winning that week. So I was playing goalie again on Monday, and then we'd win again, and I'd play goalie on Monday. So it was, uh, wow. it was kind of a joke, but I literally would step in and play goalie, small-sided stuff against professional players just ripping shots at me from 10 yards away. Um, That's crazy. And I guess that gives you a little bit of a, a little bit of perspective. Like you know, <laughs> you know as, a, as a guy that's been, been in the net, when you're kind of in the field, when you're when you're picking your spot, you kind of know a little bit of what what keepers are thinking. Oh yeah, a little bit. It's a, little it's bit. a tough position. I, I'm definitely not crazy enough to be to be a goalie, but uh, I don't know. We might need. I, it does take a crazy kind of person. Case. Oh yeah. We we might need an emergency keeper. Saying yeah, that shit. We're down, we're down <laughs> one for uh, <laughs> considering for Saturday. Yeah, good job, Elder. Yeah. <laughs> so Brian, you're a. Uh, your NASL, your and your Minnesota soccer pedigree kind of put your signing with City in this in the spotlight that most other players uh, didn't have. Could you really have predicted how polarizing of a figure you would become in the in the NPSL before you even even set foot on the pitch? Yeah, no. It seems like every every article it's written, it's all it's like I saw one of former NSL pros Dan O'Brien and Brian Coleman were not available for this game or something, but. Yeah, it's uh, it's exciting. I'm I'm looking forward to getting out there and playing. I, I'm hope hopefully uh, 
interim head coach Will puts me in the lineup this weekend because I, I will be available for Saturday's game. So. All right, well, I think we'll make a couple calls, <laughs> especially especially at the beginning of this of, of this coming season. Like team chemistry or this season, I guess that just just kicked off. Team chemistry is is kind of a rare commodity. We saw that a little bit on uh, on Saturday when we struggled at at the start. What kind of things is City doing to foster? The, the growth of team chemistry and what do you add to that strange brew? Well, I, I mean, I think just professionalism, you know, I, I, I expect a lot of myself, even though now I'm a 33 year old, uh, still trying to play around with the younger kids. And, but, you know, just obviously I, I've had some success in the pro career and, and I was always a leader on, on that team, uh, named vice captain for a few different years so when Kyle Altman was was not able to play or sitting out for reds or whatever I'd wear the armband but uh, it's not something that that I need uh, it's just that's just kind of who I was uh, always growing up and got that you know from my dad as well just being a leader and so I think regardless of who the captain is and stuff I know I know some of the players already look up to me and some of them make little comments you know during during training or whatever but and I'm not I'm not there to, to be a captain. I'm just I'm a leader anyway that whenever I step on the field regardless. So I think that's something that I'll definitely bring to the table and you know, I told Adam uh, Pribble, I said, I'll play anywhere that you need me. I just I want the team to do well but I I pretty much asked him, I said, you know, I really don't want to be playing outside mid or outside back anymore. Like it's too much running and being <laughs> able to touch it and we got there, so. <laughs> we got speedier guys anyway, younger, faster guys. Exactly. Let, let <laughs> I, them do. Well, you, you can dominate <laughs> the middle of the field. So you're I set. Think... You were set, and you said it. You're set to to make your highly anticipated debut for Minneapolis City on uh, on Saturday against Duluth. You're you're pumped. When you hit the field for the first time this year, what are your personal goals for for the game? What and what do you want to get out of the out of the season as a whole? Well, I think. You know, I, I told Adam uh, when he talked talked to the team about or talked to individuals about their goals for the team. And, and my goals are a little different than some. You know, they I know some of the guys are still in college and or some of the guys are still hoping to play pro. And I'm, I'm kind of on a different page. I've been there. I'm, I'm just looking to play at the highest level I can and to have fun because that's I mean, that's why we all play soccer. Is it's an awesome sport and it's fun. So. I think anytime I step on the field for City, uh, being a crow, I'm just looking to give everything I have in the game and help players, you know, be better around me. But you know, obviously, it'd be fun to have some good assists and score some goals and hit some bangers. And that's something that when I play midfield, uh, that's something that I I look to do. If I if I get a volley from 35 yards out, if it's sit, sitting up for me, I'm taking it. It's one yeah. of my I can't say no. You get we'll the green light from the parking lot. Yeah, man. We'll t- we'll touch on that later. So let's talk about your business for now, man. Um, football form and fitness is your is uh your coaching your coaching company. You have your USSFB coaching license. You're a certified speed and agility coach, and uh, you're you're a Corver trained coach. Tell us a little bit about what all of that means to the uneducated, and what that um what that helps you bring to what you're currently doing uh with your training. Yeah, so it's it's something you know, coaching something that uh, I wish I would have known when I was younger that that I was really going to have a passion for. I mean, I, I studied business in school, so um, de- definitely not the nine to five get get all dressed up in a suit. I'd rather be out on the field. So, 
when I retired from playing for Minnesota United, that's uh, kind of I started that as on the side, um, just as a little gig. Because I mean, as a coach, we don't have a ton of time for our younger kids to like work on technique and fundamentals right it's it's all about the team you have an hour hour and a half on the field you're like what, what i gotta set a session up getting us prepared for tournaments for league all that kind of stuff so um i kind of started that way where you know i do small group training and, and individual training year round to where i mean i'm literally sitting there and just touching the ball and like getting passing the kids here you go work on your technique this is how i want your first touch to be checking your shoulder stuff like that but i'm literally just sitting there and touching the ball to these kids right foot left foot right foot, left foot whatever and and uh I, I think it's something that i never had like like most of us my age or around our age we were taught by coaches who were probably you know just parents and not played at a high level and i think that's nowadays all these kids like i know at woodbury soccer club we have high school coaches or legends for high school coaches like Joe Quinnabali and Phil Johnson that used to be at uh, at Stillwater for so long. Those mm-hmm. those guys are now working with our rec kids, and we have current college coaches that are coaching our academy teams. And it's like these kids are training year-round and, and have coaches that actually know what they're talking about when they're 8, 9, 10 years old. It's uh, definitely going to you know, make soccer better in the future. Yeah, the uh, the future of soccer in Minnesota is is growing exponentially because of that exact reason. And it's it's like when even we we we've we've had it in hockey for so long. Like what is what we got Parish up in Osseo? Isn't West Walls in Woodbury? Anyway, it's like now now that we can have these returning professionals uh, and returning college players start to <coughs> start to coach the kids here in Minnesota at a higher level, it's just going to. Uh, we're not going to be a little a little blip on the radar anymore. We're going to start to make some impact. Oh yeah, for sure. So your business gives you a little window into this into that high school talent um, that into the high school talent the uh, that the state has right now. Who are off the top of your head? Who are some of the players that maybe John needs to keep keep on his radar to build the city team of the future? Oh, you know, I th- I mean, I think they're already doing kind of a good job, but they you know, have a handful of younger kids that are out training with us, like Opti and some of those kids, um, which I kind of snapped at Opti a couple of weeks ago, but that was a pause, all right. I <laughs> but it was um, just something, you know, that I know MTA does a really good job of developing or maybe not developing, harnessing good talent. And obviously when they have a DA program and you're playing against all those kind of all those other teams, um, the level is going to go up. But I think uh, continue. You know, now that Minnesota United is going to have uh, going to have a DA, I think we should. We would be smart to have a little bit of a partnership with them, just because. Like I, I know next year they're going to have a USL team in the third division, and they're going to be looking for numbers. And I'm thinking they're probably going to want to have a lot of Minnesota guys on that team. And I know, I know there's players already that. For Minneapolis City that can play at that level, and I think uh, having some sort of open line communication between the two organizations could maybe help help in the future. Because I would imagine, you know, that's something that the Crows want to do. Is yeah, we we want to compete, but I, I think it'd be kind of cool to say, oh, hey, we had three guys signed this year to a pro contract, you know, and 
Mm-hmm. At some point, you pass them off, and you, you develop, like you said, you get the younger kids in. But I think the more the more that, that happens, then the high school kids are going to be like, well, who should we play for in the summer? Should we play for PSLT? Should we play for Twin Stars? Like, why not go play for City? Like, they're already doing it. They're already pushing people into the pros, you know. So yeah, that would be that would be amazing. Uh, well, they, I mean, they they pretty much have their hands full right now with uh, trying to get their first team going. So I'll, I'll just I'll just leave it as uh, my my phone's always uh, always on if they uh, <laughs> if they want to give me a call and, and talk through that. I think that you know, like you said, it, it it would be awesome to to be pushing some of these guys through. And and you even hit on it too that some of these guys are are on their way to the next thing or they're one thing away from it and and we have it here so might as well continue to foster it so tell us um how people get a hold of you if they're interested in having their son or daughter um you know get out there and get some touches with uh with your your organization yeah uh well i'm I'm on social media uh football form and fitness uh f-u-t-e-b-o-l form and fitness uh, my twitter handle was a little too long so it's actually just football form and fit um but i have a website as well you can go to footballformandfitness.com again f-u-t-e-b-o-l formandfitness.com so just shoot me a message and say hey i'm looking looking for some training and i have uh you know like i said i do small group and year and individual training year round um in the summers i have a little bit different programs i still do some of that um mostly in the afternoon, one o'clock to four o'clock ish. But this summer I have a U10 program that meets once a week for six weeks. I have a U12 program, a U14 program, um, as well as then I have like some other things where I do like a form and fitness day that I, I started last summer where I basically <coughs> set up my soccer tennis net, soccer volleyball net. I have a big, uh, skills uh shot blocker goal setter whatever they call it that you put up in the goal and it's only open in the corners to work on finishing so kind of those days or the form and fitness sessions um kids just show up and pay 10 bucks and i put them through like a 10 15 minute workout where i show them some plyometric stuff show them some core strengthening some push-ups stuff like that and encourage them to do it on their own to help them become stronger and then literally the next 45 minutes I say hey here's all these games that I've set up like horseshoes and soccer tennis and all that and the kids just go around and play and it's open from ages 8 to 18 and it's kind of a kind of a cool thing one one day last year I had 34 kids sign up and they're they're players from different ages and different skill levels but you can see people like they get in little groups and then they start playing and then you'll see like a little kid come over and like be interested in the soccer tennis and they'll be like hey yeah just jump in with us you know and they play like 3v2 or 4v3 or whatever and they're helping out the younger kids and it's kind of really really cool to see them kind of take ownership of their own workout and what they want to do and and just having fun while continuing to get better and that's i mean through those kind of games you don't really think about it's actually improving their technique when you're playing soccer tennis you're dealing with the ball in the air or if you're playing horseshoes you're working on your ball striking as well as you know bringing the ball down out of the air so yeah john do you s- that the kids have really liked john always says that where it's like sometimes you just gotta get out back and play you know just kick kick the ball around the yard and just see what it does just learn there's not 
not a lot of that that goes on, man. It's uh, you know, in other countries, you just go out in the streets and start playing, playing the game. Yeah. Like I just read an article. That's what Zinedine Zidane was like. I'm a street, I'm a street player. That's where I developed. You know, playing with the big kids. Yeah. And get, having to get, fight for the ball and being strong on the ball and learning how to, you know, be shifty and <clears> beat them. And kids got to learn how to play on the streets. <laughs> Toughens them up. <laughs> okay, well. Now is the time where we put you through the 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 world famous Lupient speed round. <laughs> the People's Pitch speed round is brought to you by the wonderful people in the Valley of Gold at Lupient Automotive. Why drive a piece of crap when you can be the envy of your hood and upgrade your ride ASAP? Visit lupient.com for all things car today. So Brian, are you familiar with the speed round? Have you have you listened to the podcast? I I have. I've listened to one one episode. Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. It's it's one more than some people, so uh, so that's good. So ten questions. Um, you have to give me an answer before we go to the next one. Um, are you ready? Do you need like a, a drink of water? You need a stretch or anything? I'm good to go. All right. Number one. What is the first name of this Canadian singer, songwriter, and record producer whose 1991 single "I I Do It For You" spent 16 weeks at number one? Starting off with a banger right away. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, it's the uh, isn't that Jason the uh, Mraz? uh no that'll be Brian Adams. Um, number two, what syndrome is a rare genetic condition that is characterized by a failure to start or failure to complete puberty? coming up with these questions <laughs> i i have a i have a bank of just incredible questions that no one no one should ever know well good i don't know that answer let's go with uh Seaver's disease so it is actually called the coleman syndrome so if you're following along number one what? was brian and number two was coleman get out of here that's not a real thing <laughs> it is a real th- it is a real thing take to google my friend you will you will see it um, number three, who was your favorite coach that you ever played for and why? Bob Warming. He is uh, now, he was the Creighton coach, started the Creighton program, um, coached for years, and now he's the head coach at Penn State. He is just, I mean, that guy could literally get me to run through a wall, and, uh, and I probably did a couple times for him, but. He just, the way he can motivate his players and the way he treated his players and just uh, at Creighton, it, it was literally, you were put into like a professional environment right from the start. And it was an experience that I'll never forget. I uh, wish I would have played longer for him. All right. So number four, you are a Nike guy, if I, if I am correct. Uh, what's your favorite boot that they've made of, of all time? Nike Tempo. Whoa, there we go. <laughs> Yeah, no, no thinking about it. That's awesome. No okay. thinking. That's it. That's it, man. That's all. That's all I wear. So number five, you have ripped some insane shots uh, in training this past winter. I have been uh, front row for a few of those. Name a uh, a prediction from from now on. How far out your longest goal this season will come from? I I, I bet I'll be able to catch a sl- uh, keeper sleeping. I always. When I'm playing midfield, I'm always looking and say, hey, that keeper is out. If I get this ball here, I'm shooting and I'm trying to chip him in. I think during the during the tryouts, I got one of the young keepers from – we were playing 9v9 or 8v8 across the width of the field, and I probably hit him from 50 yards away. I got him. 
<laughs> let's, let's, go with, let's go with 50 nice <laughs> alright sounds good so number 6 if your game was a vehicle what vehicle would it be oh, a Hummer because I'm just gonna go through you if I decide I, I'm not happy with you you're you're in for it I'm going right over, over you <laughs> right awesome uh, not not your H2 variety your straight Hummer right straight Hummer military grade army yeah <laughs> flat, flat black Flat black. Uh, that's awesome. Um, number seven in in five seasons with Minnesota United, um, you scored twice. Can you take us back to to one of those goals and kind of give us a, a recap of, of your favorite goal of the two? Yeah. Uh, I th- well, I actually scored. I think I scored three. But back back in the Thunder days, so my first my first goal was uh, a header against actually Seattle Sounders back when they were in the USL or NASL. Um, Back then, I guess it was the USL First Division. Uh, just a corner kick, just got up and over. No one kind of stepped to me, and I just buried it in the lower corner and ran over to the sideline and did the old uh, turn my back and point to my name kind of celebration. So it's uh, it's one of the goals I have in my highlight tape, and the coolest part about the goal is you can actually see my dad in the stands lifting his arm up and going crazy after. Oh, nice. So. Cool. Nice. Um, so number eight, uh, everyone gets one of these in the, in the famous loopy and speed round. It's a, would you rather question? Um, would you rather be able to talk your way out of any situation or punch your way out of any situation? Uh, well, I don't know if my wife will listen to this. I, I would say, I would say both. There's, um, there's a different, I, I used to be known as Red Card Coleman back in the <laughs> days, so I think uh, the younger version would would have hit someone and asked questions later. And nowadays, uh, now when I have to be a good role model for my kids, and they'll probably be coming to the games, um, I don't think punching is going to be happening too often. So. <laughs> uh, very diplomatic answer. Uh, number nine: uh, Who was the third person you sent a text to, and what did it say? third person ever like in your phone right now or the like go, go three people three, three people deep, back three back <laughs> where, where is my phone that's a good question oh there it is okay let's see here third person one two three colleen i coach with colleen i don't think so <laughs> nice nice just short and sweet um all right number 10 what's the one thing that you want city fans to know going into this season uh i th- i think you guys got to come out and watch come support the team i know i know a lot of people support you know listen to the podcast and support on twitter and some of you guys have had my back with some beef against uh a fan from Duluth FC, but uh, I think you just got to get out to the field, man. Their city's done an awesome job at putting together a quality roster, and there's a, all the college kids are starting to get back here. So we're gonna we're, we're on our way to a championship, starting off one zero. Hopefully, we can just run through this league and uh, you know make an open cup run too. Awesome. Well, Brian, thank you so much for being on with us today as we as we lead up to um, to the match this week against Duluth. I know plenty of people, including myself and Nate, are looking forward to um, to having you get out there and putting a city kit on. And and as always, if uh, if you're looking to get some supplemental training for your son or daughter, uh, head over to the internet and look up Football Farm and Fitness, and uh, Brian would be happy to get uh, your little one all geared up for uh, for the, the the professional soccer track of the, of the future. <laughs>
That's right. Yes, sir. All right. Thank you so much, Brian. So that's all for today's show, folks. Wasn't that interview a delight? Huge shout out to our sponsor, Summit. It is summertime, and there is a full line of wonderful tasting brews for you. My favorite is the Summer Ale, folks. It is absolutely top drawer. Go to your local store and buy some. It really does make listening to this podcast that much better. And our game day that much better. Uh, If you want to get into Saturday's game for free, do not miss your last chance to get a great deal. $60 gets you a season pass, which is a great deal for eight home games, a fancy new membership scarf, a membership vote, and a spiritual reward of holding soccer in your heart. If you are not (laughs) quite sure you want to commit fully to a season because you're dumb or you have a busy summer, whatever, you want to catch a few games, single game tickets are now on sale. As I mentioned, 8 bucks gets you in ahead of time, 10 bucks at the door. Head over to mplscitysc.com and get whichever entry method you want today. City's out on the town, Nate. We're helping the kids. It's I all about that. the kids. Uh, connect to this fine sport. But we need your help, folks, to support those people. If you're looking to align yourself with a fine group that loves to give back, you are in luck. Minneapolis City is a 501c3 that does good on and off the pitch, providing those less fortunate with a safe, reliable place to play the beautiful game. And of course, donations are fully tax-deductible. Consider giving to the club that gives back. If you want to get a hold of us, we've made it so easy, and you've started to talk to us on the internet. Keep doing that. Send us a note on Twitter. At the People's Pitch is how you get a hold of us, or through email, which you never do, but first time for everything, mcscpodcast at gmail.com. All questions, comments, and concerns are welcome. And finally, as always, you can hit up the club at MPLSCitySC on the Twitter box. That is all for this week, folks. We will see you on Saturday night in beautiful Minneapolis to take on Duluth FC. And we'll talk to you next week with a full recap and a quick turn as we play on Wednesday. So anticipate an early show next week. So pay attention to Twitter for that to drop. This is usually the time where we leave you with our house band, Go Get Em Tiger. But today we leave you with a little tribute to the recently deceased Soundgarden and Audio Slave frontman who passed away yesterday, Chris Cornell. This is a tribute, folks, so please don't sue us. This is Soundgarden with Fell on Black Days. R.I.P. Chris. I am John. That is Nate. And you are the beautiful fans. Enjoy the end of your week and get on down to the Nelly for that match on Saturday. And cheers. You got hooked. Yes. Sweet. (laughs) 